Hello, live from New York City. This is Jenna, Shira's roommate, and you're listening to Counter Programming with Shira and Ariel. Hi, Shira. Hi, Ariel. Hi, counties. Welcome to Counter Programming with us. I'm Shira. And I'm Ariel. On this podcast, we bring you stories and interviews on topics or phrases that have the word count or counter in the title. Last week, it was all about counting political money, a.k.a. political donations. The week before, we covered the census, a.k.a. people counters. We started off this podcast back in April (laughs) with a series on countertops. Oh, you know, marble, granite, steel, wood. Spoiler alert, granite is by far our favorite countertop and the overall best countertop ever. Ever. We highly encourage you to take a look back in our archives for some fun listens. And if you disagree with us, do let us know. We will reveal the topic of today's episode shortly, though since you clicked on it, you do know what it is. But first... One of the most helpful things you can do for us here at Counter Programming is to share the show. Share the show. That's why this week we're trying something new. We created a link that makes it easy to share the show with your group thread, your best friend via Twitter DM, and all the places where recommendations happen. And the best part, Shira, if you share counter-programming with five friends who then download the podcast, we'll send you a handwritten counter-programming note in our own blood. Follow the link. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't what we agreed on, Ariel. It was just going to be a handwritten note. No blood. Boring. Yeah, probably not in our own blood, but we'll send you a handwritten counter-programming note. Follow the link in the show notes and help us spread the word. We are so excited about this, guys. We know that WOM, if you don't know what WOM is, that would be word of mouth, (laughs) is the best way to spread the word. And this just supercharges our efforts. Again, make sure to check the show notes for the link to refer your friends. And now, back to the show. Woo! Counties, without further ado, what are we discussing this week? Local elections and how important they are, aka local elections count. In order to demonstrate the importance of local elections, we have a guest on today's show. It's Shira's camp friend, Jesse. We'll be back at the end of the episode to recap, so stick around. And now, here's our interview with Jesse. Hi, Jesse. We are so excited to have you with us for our episode of Counter Programming. Local elections count. They count. (laughs) They count. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Jesse. How are you doing? How's your day been? I am doing well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Looking forward to talking all things local and all things counters. Perfect. And I am particularly excited because we grew up at camp together. We worked at Eisner from 2010 to 2014. And it's exciting to see the way camp has hopefully influenced some of your activism and the things that you're doing in the community to make a difference now. Yeah. Eisner was a tremendous experience. Not only did we do a lot of counting, there's a whole summer with the pedometers (laughs) where everyone was counting their steps. But I actually learned a lot about, there was this whole like term one year that was be the one. It became a little cheesy, but we had this program there, the Stop Bullying program. It was based off of the documentary movie Bully, and they brought in one of the dads of a child who had committed suicide because he was bullied so much. 
And they did this whole incredible program at Eisner that summer. And I was in college at the time. And I actually brought that same speaker to my college. So we did like a presentation for about how bullying like extends into your adult life. So I actually learned a lot from Eisner about, you know, standing up for justice in different ways. Definitely a fantastic experience. Everyone should work at camp. Lewis will be very happy to hear about the impact of Be The One. Lewis was our director, Ariel. Definitely make sure to send Lewis this episode once it comes out. We had Be The One t-shirts. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know the song, Don't Laugh At Me, Ariel, by... No. Who was who it by again? It was not by Peter, Paul, and Mary, but it was by like one of the people from that, by Peter. Was it? It wasn't the one that... Uh, yeah, it was Alan Peter Garrow. Then there was another song that Alan Goodis, who was like a Jewish yes. singer-songwriter, did at Eisner as well. That was same we'll, theme. We'll link to all of these songs in the show notes. <laughs> but anyways, before we get started to hear more about how you have been the one, we have a lot of questions, but we want to kind of orient our counties. That's what we call our listeners. <laughs> and so we are going to read your bio and then we'll dive into the questions. Awesome. Thank you. Jesse is a community organizer from Astoria, New York. Up until recently, he was a candidate for New York City Council in the 22nd District. Aside from running himself, Jesse has worked and volunteered for many local electoral campaigns and last year was the Manhattan lead organizer for NYC's successful ranked choice voting campaign. Previously, he spent three years as the New York and Tri-State Director for One Voice Movement, a Palestinian-Israeli peace-building program, and has devoted eight summers working for various summer camps, including Eisner, like we said, with Shira. Jesse, what what a half a bio. Shira, why don't you, why don't you take over the rest of the bio? <laughs> Jesse is very involved with neighborhood efforts, including leading volunteer efforts with Astoria's local street cleanup, composting program, and various mutual aid efforts. Currently, he is working with People for the American Way, organizing a text-based campaign aimed to combat voter suppression and bolster turnout for the upcoming general election. Jesse, what a full bio. (laughs) We are so excited to get into some questions uh, that we're curious about ourselves, and we also want to impart this knowledge to our counties and to any potential future listeners. So why don't we just get started with uh, your origin story? How did you initially get involved in local politics? Wow, origin story. I'm not Batman, but uh, (laughs) how to get started in local politics is I haven't been involved for that long, um, you know, I definitely was working, uh, doing the summer camp thing for a long time in college. I was studying psychology, you know, didn't quite know what path I was going to go down. And I think like a lot of people in my generation in 2016, when Bernie Sanders had his campaign, you know, I decided to educate myself on a lot of issues. I was always interested in politics. Like I was always paying attention. But that was the first time I got really excited about a, an election. And it was actually during that uh, election cycle when my brother-in-law had actually, uh, I think, he, you know, my brother-in-law had passed away from a undiagnosed heart condition. He didn't have health care. And I think for me, on, on one hand, that brought those things that I was already fighting for, made them a lot more personal. Also, I think like many people in the Jewish diaspora community, my grandmother's um, story of coming to the United States, escaping the Holocaust had a huge impact on me in terms of um, what it means to be what like about refugee stories about immigration. How do we not be bystanders when communities are being under attack? And so there was definitely um, a lot of things that were kind of piecemealing their way into my consciousness about what I want to do professionally. 
And so shortly after that campaign, you know, I have the pleasure of living in Astoria, Queens, which is New York 14, which is currently represented by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I got to to volunteer on her campaign along with a lot of others. And I realized that a lot of the skills that I had gained, I think partially working at summer camps was organizing. I'm definitely an extrovert and enjoy talking to people about issues that matter to them. And the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it, the more connections I made, the more I felt part of my community and the more I realized the impact one person can really have in uh, shaping the conversation. So you mentioned being a community organizer, but I feel like that is such a broad term that gets thrown around a lot. So I'd love to hear, like, what does being a community organizer mean to you? <laughs> sure. I think it means, well, I'll actually, let's talk about this year a little bit, because I think 2020 is such a unique example of communities coming together. Obviously, New York City has been hit tremendously hard, probably harder than anywhere else in the world with coronavirus. And we've had a lot of big programs that have been defunded. A lot of resources become unavailable, especially to people who are immigrants, people who might not have been getting stimulus checks, people who are not able to get access to meals that fit their dietary restrictions or fit their religious restrictions. And so we've seen a lot of things that have just popped up this year in terms of mutual aid efforts serving meals to the community. One of the other programs that was cut, I think it was mentioned briefly in the bio, is composting. The city already had a tiny, tiny composting budget, but they got rid of composting at the beginning of the year. Um, they said, you know what, this tiny thing that we barely support anyways, we don't need it. So a few people here in the neighborhood came together and started doing a local compost. Uh, I, I joined them a few weeks into their program, and it's been just tremendous to see how much, a few people saying this is a need, um, and, and a want from people in the neighborhood. And now we're actually probably composting way more than pre-COVID, which is tremendous. You know, people also care about the parks here. And so, you know, they had furloughed a lot of park staff. So different community members are stepping up and volunteering their time. And I think that's community organizing, getting your friends to join, saying, is this an issue you care about? And that translates just as well into the political space. You know, I think when you look at a candidate like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was back in 2018, it changed the way that we look at organizing our communities. Before her campaign, it was pretty outrageous to think that somebody who doesn't have a big financial structure behind them could possibly win. But what her campaign did and what she did was literally knock on every single door. There are like famous pictures of, the, of her shoes that you know got completely worn out. Because she went door to door, said, what did it, What do you care about? It wasn't about plastering TVs with ads. It's a lot more personal when you go up to somebody and say, what do you care about? Versus being on their screen and telling you what you should care about. Yeah. So in the two years since then, it's completely changed the way local elections are done. And national elections too, for that matter. Absolutely. I think AOC, it's weird to think that she only really came into consciousness for me and for most people in 2018, uh, 2017, maybe. But I mean, when you said 2018 just now, I was like, no, that only it's only 2020 now. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. So definitely door to door is such a such a tactic that's underutilized. It's underutilized. And now it's being utilized a lot more. But what's so interesting is even that has changed in the past two years, because now we're in this situation 
And I know this is about counter to COVID, but like it's hard to talk about politics today without it kind of being there. Oh, yeah. Somewhat. I'll talk a little bit more soon, I'm sure, about, you know, my own city council campaign. But realizing that even now you have to campaign totally differently. It's not about just saying what your platforms are. It's about volunteering. It's about, you know, helping out with the mutual aid. It's about making yourself present when it's in a time that's really hard to be present. So it's about showing up for your community and not just about running your campaign ads or going door to door because you can't necessarily go door to door. That was actually one of our questions for you. And since we're already on the topic, I think we can kind of go in that direction. But what else have you noticed that has changed about local elections in the time that you've been kind of part of this scene and been a community organizer? Yeah, I think one of the things that has changed is people are looking for people are looking for change right now people really believe for good reason that most politicians don't care about them and it's a really sad state of the world but we have very little trust in our mayor we have a big split some people really like the governor some people think that he's a complete hypocrite uh, and has really hurt a lot of New York. People don't like our president. People don't like our local electeds. They're upset with the recent budget that was passed here in New York City that did not call for defunding of the police in a significant way, which obviously has been a really contentious issue, especially when so many other programs have been defunded, such as park staff being laid off, such as hiring freezes on our teachers, such as the composting program that I mentioned. So many of these things just piling up that the city says, we don't need, you know, even I saw earlier today's article about how movie theaters, they're just tearing into Cuomo because there are 48 states around the country which have opened up movie theaters to like limited capacity. But New York is one of the two states that hasn't. And, you know, we have the biggest movie theater going market in the country. So now like all the, you know, people are really piling up on politicians. They'll find any reason in a time of such uncertainty. So I think going back to your question is people are looking for new blood People are looking for a message of how are we refunding our communities? What are the priorities in terms of getting our city moving again? Making sure that people feel like they're going to have a meal on their table next month. Making sure that they're not going to get evicted next month. Making sure that their communities aren't being sold out to giant real estate corporations. Right now we had a big fight in, I love where I live in Astoria because it's really a neighborhood. But we just lost... The key food, which is like the big grocery store right off my train stop, it's been there for 48 years. Wow. And yeah, and it's like an absolute staple of the neighborhood. But there was a there was a buyout because Target could afford a buyout. Now now our corporations. It's terrible. And this is just the beginning. People are very well aware that what is happening right now is just the start of an economic downturn. Well, I also feel like people are myself included, are so much more aware of how politicians can impact like those little day-to-day things, whether it's, you know, a a supermarket that's been there forever being bought out by a big corporation that doesn't have as much food in their stores, or even like, I don't know, for me, I, I see the connection between these like problems in society and politicians so much more clearly. And now I'm so much more aware, like not just voting for someone who like says they're a Democrat, but like really under trying to understand like what 
what their plan is, even if they've been in office forever. What the local average citizen on the ground actually wants, it's so important to understand. Yeah, it's both about what they want and a politician or someone coming up saying that, yes, they agree with these things versus seeing them actually fight for it. I think that's kind of what I'm talking about being like present in the community. I think that is a major part. I've seen a lot of candidates who are new who want to like jump on a certain bandwagon, whether it's on the left or the right, they're going to be with you. But if you actually haven't seen that person in the community, it's like someone just, you know, saying things to get elected because they know that's the hot thing to do right now. Yeah. And that's especially what's happening right now between Lindsey Graham and Jamie Harrison. Jamie Harrison actually being there on the ground and making sure he's asking questions of his potential constituents and Lindsey Graham off golfing with the president. That's what the commercials say, at least. (laughs) Anyway, Jesse, I'd love to pivot a little bit. I want to talk about ranked choice voting. So we read your bio and in it, it mentions that you were a lead organizer for the NYC ranked choice voting campaign. As a New York City voter, Shira, especially, I'm from New York, but I live in Maine now, but we have ranked choice voting here in Maine. Yep. (laughs) She's registered to vote in Maine. Don't worry. Yeah. Where, Where in Maine are you? I'm in Portland. Oh my gosh. My sister is literally moving there next week. Oh my God. I need friends. Yeah. So will she. (laughs) Okay, good. Anyway, we want to, we want to know a little bit more about ranked choice voting. So here people are very excited by it in Portland, Maine, but in New York city, tell us first of all, what is ranked choice voting? Sure. Uh, Ranked choice voting is just a slight alteration on the way that you already vote and it gives more power to the voter. So essentially instead of going into the booth and selecting one box of this is the candidate, let's say let's say there's five people running for a seat. You can, instead of just selecting one, you can actually rank them one through five. Or depending on where it's been implemented, it might be one through three. Some places you might rank all of them if you want to. The way it's working in New York City specifically, it is you can rank up to five. It's for city elections only, not state elections. But essentially what happens is you end up with a candidate who's going to have minimally 51% of support. So the way that works, to try to break it down, if you have five candidates right now, you could still technically win an election with like 21% of support if it's like really, if it's a really close field. And so what ranked choice voting does is you'll have that like one through five, whoever is, if somebody of the five candidates already has 51% of the vote, they win. Like it's over just like any other election. But let's say they have 30%, then what you'll do is the person with the least amount of number one votes, you'll take all their ballots and look at the second choice. And then essentially it will be like a second round. So in the end, so you keep essentially doing rounds until somebody has 51% of the vote. Now, part of the reason why this is so effective is because you can have a lot of elections where you'll have one person who's like kind of the outlier who's like a let's say they're one person who is really pro gun and the other four candidates are anti gun those four anti gun candidates might end up splitting the vote whereas the pro gun candidate walks away with it just barely but really is ultimately very very unpopular with the ranked choice voting that person will not be anybody's twos or threes so they're far less likely to win the election so what ends up happening is you end up more often than not getting a elected who has mass appeal, who mm. policies actually represent a majority of the constituency. Yeah. 
And I would also imagine, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong, because you know much more about this than I do, but that it allows more people to run because they're not as worried about like splitting the ticket. Yeah, absolutely. It allows more people to run, more diverse people in, in ranked choice voting elections. There have been a lot more women who have been elected. Cool. There's uh, yeah, a lot more people in general from minority backgrounds that are running for office. And ultimately, I think one of the most exciting parts about it is you as the voter have more of a voice than ever before. Talk about on a national level, too. There's a lot of voter shaming out there. Just recently, Ken Bone was like, <laughs> who, who you guys might remember from the 2016 election, just a guy, just any other American guy. He publicly said this election that he voted third party because neither Trump or Biden represented him. And so he said, this is the candidate that most represents the views that um, I believe in. And there was just so much nastiness over one private citizen's vote. They were so offended that he didn't feel like either candidate spoke to him. But what you can do now with ranked choice voting is say, yes, this person is my number one, but Biden's my number two. So you can still vote in confidence for the person that you believe in, even though it's not likely that they will win. And you can even look back to 2000 when it was Ralph Nader who was running third party. And a lot of people said he was the spoiler to Al Gore. And if we had ranked choice voting back then, it's highly likely that a lot of his votes would have ended up, they would have ended up looking at their second choice, which is more likely Al Gore. And Al Gore, we could have had eight years of Gore instead of Bush, which I think would have been an okay thing. It might have also yeah. changed where we are right now. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I wish we had. We might have had a Green New Deal by now. <laughs> uh, I'm sure. I wish we had ranked choice voting when it came to the 2020 ticket in terms of Democratic potential candidates for president. I liked so many of them, but unfortunately, we ended up with one that I did not like. And, and I think a lot of people did not like that much, or a lot of people, at least in my demographic, my age demographic and um, socioeconomic demographic, I think. We definitely lean more towards the Elizabeths, the Bernies, the uh, even the Kamala, you know, yeah. the Kamala. <laughs> yeah, and it's another way to kind of look at ranked choice voting from like a more fun angle because obviously it gets you get in the weeds when you talk about politics. When we were doing this campaign, we would like go into bars and do like rank your beer. It would be like a really fun activity to get people like understand the process of like what is what is ultimately the favorite. What is what can everybody more or less get behind? If you're doing rank the beer, it becomes more about which has the best hop profile. When it comes to politicians, it becomes who has the best policies. It becomes much more about the policies, kind of we're talking about why are we leaning towards certain candidates. And in a ranked choice voting election, it becomes much more about the policy, becomes much less about the individual. There's a lot more positive campaigning. Somebody who's running negative, 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 negative ads, they are far less likely to be successful. And that's why back in the start of this primary cycle, when you saw when Bernie and Warren were still friendly with each other, that was like dynamic. Everybody was so certain one of the two of these is going to get it because they are working together. And in a ranked choice election, it would be hands down. They would have been incredibly successful. But in a regular campaign that we have now where you only get that one choice, people do have to turn negative. And that would be a real big game changer. I do also want to add for all of our counties that I I know that was on our ballot in 
New York City. That was November of last year. And so that's why it's super important to know what else is going to be asked on your ballot, not just like who the two main presidential candidates are, because obviously we all know that at this point, but like read up on stuff. Because I remember a few days before the election, I found out that was on the ballot and I didn't know a lot about it and was trying to like do as much research and like literally post on Instagram. I was like, can someone please tell me like, (laughs) what does this mean? And like, what do I want to do? Do you know why? Local elections, they they count. count. Yeah, (laughs) They count. And without people doing the local work, the moneyed interest will win every single time. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's not big pushes by our government for you to actually fill out the census. That's all done, which I know you guys just uh, no. put on. We're obsessed with the census on this podcast. I know. Every You're vote perfect. counts. Every person counts. Yes. Arielle in particular <laughs> is, I mean, I'm a huge believer that every person counts, but oh Arielle in particular is a census I have, I have fanatic. My oh, face mask. Yes. He just showed, Jesse, please yeah. describe what you're holding up. I'm, I'm sorry. I know this is just an audio podcast, but I have a, uh, I did a census event uh, last weekend. I got a face mask. That says NYC Census 2020. Oh my so God. Walk around the neighborhood reminding people that they count. That they count. If Arielle lived anywhere near you, she would probably come and try to take that away. <laughs> um, I, I, do can, I can maybe mail one to you. I would freaking love that. <laughs> you have a few of them? Uh, I know where to get them. Yeah. <gasps> He's got to hook up. I got to hook up. If we could give a few away, that would be amazing. Sure. On counter-programming. To NYC, if that's okay. But That is so cool. Anyway, we can talk more about this offline. <laughs> yeah. I know Shira's, Shira's Jones in to ask you a question. Well, I, so I want to jump into kind of the, the meat of why we initially reached out to you, but what made you decide to run for city council and what was it like getting that campaign off, off the ground? It had never been something that had struck me really until a few months before I decided to run. I never thought of myself as a politician and I still don't. You know, you said earlier, community organizing is a very broad term, but it's really what I enjoy doing. Um, I like interacting with, uh, I like volunteering for different efforts in the neighborhood. I like supporting different campaigns. And I realized that there's this whole part of government called our city council, which essentially are the advocates for their communities and for their neighborhoods, as opposed to someone who might be working in state Senate, where they're in Albany all day or in Congress when you're, you know, in DC, like drafting legislation all day, like it's definitely a part of city council, but also a bigger part of it is being an advocate and and helping organize your community, making sure that people are supported, uh, safe and secure. And that really kind of excited me, this notion of I can be a community organizer in a neighborhood that I absolutely love and get paid for it. Like, how cool is that? And my other- We love being paid for things that, <laughs> labor that you are giving. That's important. <laughs> yeah. And it's obviously hard. You know, there's a lot of unemployment right now. If you're able to find a way to make money and do what you love, I mean, there's no better life, I, I imagine. You know, my other real passion has always been youth organizing specifically. Um, obviously spending a lot of time at camps. Um, I've also taught at Hebrew schools and I've worked for a few different organizations where I did like college and high school organizing, getting students like engaged on different issues. And so I realized that there was a real big need within our, within New York city to support youth programming. So that was really a big part of what I wanted to do. 
was focused on how do we support the next generation within New York City. So I had put forward ideas to create a youth liaison caucus within city council, which sadly does not exist. And we also have a huge youth homelessness issue in the city, which I'm scared to see what the numbers are like after COVID. Right now, there's 10% homelessness amongst youth in the city. So those are kids who don't have a permanent residence. One in 10 children in the city, which is just astronomical, unacceptable. We have camps now that are obviously closed. The New York City schools, there's still tons of segregation, the worst in the country. We have all these issues that are plaguing, that have plagued our generations as millennials, but are going to exponentially be affecting kids who are growing up right now. And so I wanted to really help create a system within city council that supports our youth. And now I launched this campaign back in the end of January of this year, unknowing what was to come. (laughs) And I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about the murder of George Floyd. Yeah. um, Which completely shook up everything in our politics. Seeing people around this country stand up for the Black Lives Matter movement, seeing people stand up for one another in a way that I haven't seen in our lifetime. We've had rallies and marches for different issues, but never something that has been so sustained and so incredibly just. There have been more ongoing protests across the country than there were during the civil rights movement. Yet sadly, there's been less actual change this year. And I had already been really impacted by campaigns I'd worked on previously that focused on criminal justice issues, specifically Tiffany Caban, who I ended up stepping down to support. I had been very active on her district attorney race. She ran for Queens district attorney a year prior. You know, she was a incredible public defender, learned a lot about cash bail laws in the city. I had been out there fighting against the vote that our city council did to expand four new jails across the city. There's a lot of really terrible criminal justice law in the city and around the country. New York has some of the one of the highest rates of lifetime sentences. We have Rikers Island, which is just a human rights atrocity. All these like terrible, terrible things that specifically target black communities, that specifically target minorities and immigrants, and realizing that that is what matters more than anything right now. And not only does it matter more than anything, but it's actually actively shaping who are the type of people that we want in our government on a local level. And it's those individuals who have been actively making sure that people who have been pushed down by a broken system are elevated and have equal rights and equal opportunity. And so it's been really exciting to support different protests, different actions. And even still to this day, there is protests happening regularly around the city. Um, And I think that, yeah, that has changed the political landscape more than anything, more than coronavirus. Obviously, you had this like passion and wanted to run, which is clear. But what goes into starting a campaign and making that decision? Like, was it hard to like, what did you have practically? To do? Yeah, pra- yeah, practically. Yeah. Like, what paperwork did you need to fill out? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which um, number form? <laughs> well, there's a lot of them, um, but it's actually quite simple. And it was my first time running for office. 
and potentially my last. I don't know. No, uh, we believe in you. There's a, a board of elections. There's a city board. There's a state board. Um, and they both have their own paperwork. There's a campaign finance board. So you have to learn about how do you set up a bank account, you know, a campaign bank account. You're essentially starting a business. That's probably the best way to describe it. You're starting a business. And the most important thing for starting a business or a campaign is having having at least one other person who is like your confidant. In most campaign situations, that would be your campaign treasurer. I chose my roommate and, at the time and best friend, the Aww. one person in the world who I trust more than myself. I asked her, would you be my campaign? Oh, nice. <laughs> you count on her? <laughs> I count on her countless times. Uh-huh, that's so nice. <laughs> um, and we, we're going on a hike tomorrow. We're still like, like even though I ended my campaign, I'm like, we're still friends, right? Uh, Love. And having somebody who's going to kind of keep you accountable is uh-huh. really important. Yes, he's so good. <laughs> because there's, it's not a one-person job. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are situations where people will think that they are ready to run for office and they have the right ideas, but don't actually build that team out. And that's really important, having at least a few people who you know are going to support you and not being afraid to kind of put yourself into uncomfortable situations. Once you kind of make yourself a public citizen, you know, you're going to be uh, scrutinized. Everything you say is going to be scrutinized. So just kind of mentally preparing yourself for that. But I think if you have the right message, and I think if people see you as a genuine supporter of the community and are not just somebody in it for personal gain, I think anybody can run for office and everybody and anybody should run for office. You know, that's been that's been kind of the motto of the past few years is if you have the conviction, if you are ready to fight for a community selflessly, do it. There's no there's no better time to. I agree. And I think, unfortunately, people apply the same logic to starting a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also it's. It's so true because like you had clearly been working in the community. You cared about the community. I I think there are probably some people who run because they like the idea of being a politician to do it well and to do it in a way that benefits people. It has to come from that like community organizing perspective almost as opposed to uh, this concept of like, I want to make it to the top of the political ladder. Yeah. And I think we're kind of that idea of like, oh, you're the person with connections and you know, that you're going to be able to fundraise a lot because you know all the wealthy people in politics. I think people see that today and not saying it across the board, but more or less people see that and are like, that's actually a turnoff. You might be able to blanket airwaves, but people, they're, they're, especially with the digital media age, you know, people are very aware to the fact of who's bringing in money from real estate, who's bringing in money from police unions, who's bringing in you know, who's, who's advertising to a certain base, but not actually caring about the whole community. That's all, you know, we're able to see that much more in real time than ever before. There's actually someone who I know who's grown tremendously on Twitter because he's like making spreadsheets of which candidates running are taking funds from, from who in the neighborhood and has had actually politicians return funds because they had, they had taken from police (laughs) unions. Now he's actually gotten them to return, return that money. Yeah, you will be found out. <laughs> you, will, you will be found out. Uh, so Man. I don't want to talk about personal life, but if you if you are doing this just for that like political gain or mm-hmm. or lobbying monetary gain, you're going to be stopped, which is great, and especially on a local level. 
We just have a few questions left for you. So kind of a fun one could be a quick yes or no. Have you ever run for class president? No, I was my college treasurer. That's cool. (laughs) That's a public position. Yeah. And that means you were counting college money, right? (laughs) (laughs) I I guess so. I, I guess so. Yes. It was, it was like the student association money, but yes. We're curious We hope that we're appealing to potential first-time voters and people maybe who have in the past decided not to vote, and we're hoping that they do vote this time around. We've focused a lot of our past few episodes on political topics. We're wondering if you have any advice for first-time voters or those new to political engagement. Well, first off, thank you for being a first-time voter. (laughs) (laughs) I think that voting itself is one part of voter engagement. And there's a lot more that I think you can do on a local level uh, when it comes to advocacy. A lot of people have this idea that the vote is the only thing that matters. And then on top of that, oh, my vote doesn't really actually even matter. Mm. So if you want to change the situation within your neighborhood or within the country, figure out what it is like that you're really passionate for. Because chances are, you know, people, you, you listen to a debate, you know, they riddle off 10 different topics of things. And you might only be really interested in healthcare. Go out and support. See see what your current city or state's legislation is doing with healthcare. Um, in New York, there is um, a New York Health Act that is currently being held up. It has huge, widespread support, but it's currently being held up. Go out there and lobby to make sure it gets passed. Talk to people. Don't only vote yourself. Make sure that your sisters and brothers are voting as well. That's incredibly important. Make sure that they have a plan to go vote. That's a big part of it. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, 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 sure, I'm voting. And then November 3rd comes and goes. And I was like, oh, missed my opportunity. And then it's a cycle of confirmation bias where oh, my vote didn't really matter anyways. And it's like, it would have mattered if you, you know, everything that you do, every time you have a conversation about an issue, you don't know who's listening. You don't know whose mind you're changing. So get involved, like absolutely vote and uh make it fun. Go with a friend. See if you can change one person's mind. I know you are currently working with People for the American Way, organizing text-based campaigns. Are there ways that we and our listeners can get involved and support you in that work? Or are there other organizations you recommend people getting involved with? Yeah. So the campaign I am currently working with um, and I want to make sure that I have the website correct. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's Defend the Black Vote. And so it's just a temporary campaign through the November 3rd election where we are specifically working to increase voter turnout amongst young black men, 18 to 35 around the country. We're expanding that as well. That's kind of the target demographic where we're trying to also counter voter suppression. Love. And a lot of misinformation out there. A lot of people who don't believe that mail-in voting is safe. There's a lot of conspiracies out there that tend to be aimed at black Mm -hmm. communities that try to suppress those votes because they know those votes aren't going to go to fascism. It's completely nonpartisan, though. Um, You know, we're not telling people how to vote. We're telling people, vote. Find those issues. Like I was saying, find those issues that you really care about, whether that's health care, whether that's about race relations, and make sure your voice is heard. That website is Defend the Black Vote. But People for the American Way is also just a fantastic organization that is fighting for all sorts of progressive reforms around the country. And it's just one of their many campaigns. 
You are full of knowledge and we're so appreciative of that. I think before we head out, we're wondering if you want to share anything else with the crowd, something to leave us with. Politics, it's a really dirty word. And I think that's why I like to say community organizing or mm-hmm. or like twist it because it can be a lot of fun. And I think a lot of people tend to avoid it because it's scary. And I think if you just kind of look at what's happening, especially locally, you can find a lot of fun things happening. You might end up meeting a celebrity who's supporting a candidate. You know, I had a really great opportunity. I got to host a comedy show for AOC four days before her election. And John Early came and did a set. That's so it cool. was totally random and yeah. totally fun. Like I met with four strangers and we, we carpooled to New Hampshire to do to, <laughs> to campaign for a candidate. There's a lot of different things you can do that are totally fun. Even today, during when a lot of things are shut down, you can still go out there and talk to people online, virtual town halls. There's a lot you can learn and a lot and a lot of fun to be had. Take a step, look into what's going on. Uh, have fun with it. Don't make politics so taboo. It, does, it shouldn't be. It, it should be something that everybody wants to be a part of. Don't let bad politicians influence your choice of getting involved. Jesse, where can people find you and follow you on social media? I am at Jesse Cerati everywhere. It's uh, J-E-S-S-E-C-E-R-R-O-T-T-I. Twitter, Instagram. I think I still have my Facebook. No, I'll accept your friend request. <laughs> Until further notice. <laughs> yeah, I'll be out there continuing to work and continuing to hopefully collaborate with people like you. This was so amazing. We loved hearing about all the work that you're doing. And I know I personally am proud to have grown up with you and really excited to see what the next chapter of your community organizing looks like. And hopefully I'll be able to make it to some of these cool events that you're doing. I'm upset I missed the beer flight tasting for ranked choice voting. I would have understood what I needed to do sooner if someone had just given me multiple beers to rank. So Jesse, we are counting on you. And thank you so much for stopping by counter programming. Thank you for having me. Shira counties. What a blast. I learned so much about local elections from Jesse. It's really cool to chat with somebody on the ground. Local elections really are the backbone of our political system. It was so cool for me, and I mentioned this in the interview, to see what Jesse has been up to and the way he's impacting his community and how our time at camp impacted that. And I'm excited to see the work he keeps doing, and it's making me more aware of going to check my ballot to see what else is on it. Before we close out today's episode, counties, a few notes for you. Vote! (laughs) Number one, most important, vote, vote, vote. Vote, vote, vote. Shira, I think the counties want to hear about our referral program again. That's so weird. I think that too, Ariel. I just think that they (laughs) want to make sure that they're able to get our handwritten note. Okay, guys. So one week only. It's a one week only situation, people. So you want to make sure you get those referrals in ASAP. And all that means is sharing this podcast with a friend. But in order to do it and be counted so that you can get... I didn't even mean to. In order to do that so that you get a love letter written by us to you, you want to make sure that you click on the link in the show notes. And that's how you make your referrals here, people. What are show notes, you're wondering, counties? Well, wherever you're listening to this pod, scroll down and you'll see the very important info on the show. Therein, you shall see a link. Press that link. 
send it to your friends, refer away for a note from our countertops to yours. That's right. Shira's winking while she said that. Counties, we want to write letters to you. Yes, you, Dylan. Yes, you, Idris. Yes, you, Bethany. We want to write letters to you. So all you got to do is send those referrals, people. Thanks, Counties. We'll be back next week with more counter programming. And we're thinking of doing a movie recap. Yeah, sounds great. Daniel, insert some like munching popcorn here. That would be delicious. Mm, I could go for some popcorn. Ariel, what movie should we watch? Well, after some extensive research, of course, counties, as you know, everything has to have the word count or counter in the title. So we've settled upon The Count of Monte Cristo. We're going to be watching the 2002 film, and we're going to watch it on Amazon, where it's $3.99 to rent. If that is a prohibitive price for you, Venmo us. We're willing to sponsor a few counties. (laughs) That would have been a good referral prize. That's true. (laughs) Shit. It's okay. Watch along with us. It'll be fun. We don't actually know what the movie is about, but we think it's going to be good. And if you have some crazy burning reactions after you watch it, you know what to do. Send us a voice clip. We need a voice clip. Yeah, so we're very excited to recap The Count of Monte Cristo next week and to let you know who won our referral prize. There will be somebody who gives the most referrals. All people who refer more than five people will get a letter from us, but only one of you will get a shout out. Time for thank yous. Yeah, time for thank yous. That's it, counties. Thank you to Daniel Turek, who is our editor and sound effects hero. You can find his work at robotslap.com. Jason Shaw, our music composer. This song is called Tennessee Hayride. And you already know we love it. (laughs) Thank you to you, counties. Much appreciate you being here week after week. Bye, Arielle. Bye, Sherelle. Bye, counties. Bye, Jesse. Bye, Jesse.